We're back. Welcome once again to another episode of Mike, Mike, and Oscar. And if the theme song surprises you, uh, it surprised us too because we're pivoting a little bit. It's an Oscar race checkpoint instead of a full-fledged Oscars profile, though we will have uh, profile-type uh, mini-profiles to come in this episode as we will be going once again through a lot of the big hitters that have just come out in the last couple weeks as we go headlong into the new year. I am your co-host, Mike One. This is co-host, also Mike. Uh, it's impossible to eat licorice and not be noticeable. <laughs> I like that. You just, we're not even close to a video format. And so you thought the right decision here was to audibly chew licorice into your microphone <laughs> as the opening of this episode. I really tried to chew it quietly too, but I felt like Peter Griffin with the potato chip. Remember that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Remember that, Mike? Yeah, do, you, do I remember that? That's a family guy's a documentary about my life. So, yeah, there's this licorice pizza thing we've been hyping up for a while, and uh, <laughs> that you love, right? Well, I don't think we're gonna eat it though. That's the regardless of whether or not I loved it, or whether or not I love those two food groups, and I mm-hmm. do call them food groups. Of course, uh, I, I do call them food groups seriously. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't, uh, I don't think I'm gonna eat a licorice pizza today. I'm still mm-hmm. willing. I'm, I'm, I'm. For sale, just number one. If and person. when it wins Best Picture at the Academy Awards. <laughs> right. We got we three months. Then? We got three months to either chew through a black record, literal black record, <laughs> musical record, or put take a pizza and, and just create this meat, cheese, candy, mm-hmm. you know, conflagration that has to be good, in my opinion. It's That's, not the friend's trifle. It is just sweet and savory. It's going to be delicious. There's no possible way you eat a slice <laughs> of that without horribly vomiting. Now you're doing it to me again. Now I'm wishing I had a slice <laughs> of pizza in front of me. Because the licorice, good. And then pizza, good. What are we talking about? Uh, well, we're going to be talking about Licorice Pizza, the movie. Uh, that review is to come later on, as well as we're going to be revisiting Don't Look Up. We're going to be talking about being the Ricardos. we got a lot of stuff on deck, but uh, a lot of news as well. We're going to start with the highs before we get into uh, some licorice <laughs> lows, let's call them. So let's talk about Spider-Man and what it's been doing at the box office lately, Michael. Yeah, you read this document the same way I did. I think we're <laughs> relatively lower than we expected on some of the movies. We'll end with those. But we're really freaking high on the box office. I saw Spider-Man for a third time with family. Uh, It was a joy, and I think a lot of other people did that as well. After 12 days, Spider-Man has grossed $495 million uh, domestically and uh, $587 uh, internationally for a $1.082 billion total worldwide through Monday. It had a Monday domestic total of $24 million, a second weekend domestic total of $85 million, a Monday through Thursday of its first week of $125, going back to its first weekend of $260, Michael. So this is big money from Spider-Man. I Again. don't know what any of this means. Like, theaters are so dying and, and so 
passe at this point, except that everybody and their mother showed up to see what we thought. I mean, everyone showed up to see House of Gucci, and then they brought every family member they have to pack the theaters to see Spider-Man right. as well. So, I like, what does this mean? It's a great opening. It's a great sign. Uh, and in Paul Thomas Anderson's words, you know, if theaters are going to be saved, to paraphrase him, I guess, if theaters are going to be saved, it's going to be saved on the backs of the Spider-Mans and the superhero movies right now. And so I guess as a sign of strength that, like, people still want to go to the theaters, you could take the good from this. What's also sticking out to me is how close the domestic and international numbers are right there, 495 to 587. It's almost a 50-50 split right now between uh, those, to see both those markets carrying uh, that $1 billion price tag, that $1 billion revenue. So there's a lot of good to be had from this, except if you want to talk about literally any other aspect of theaters. Every other aspect of theaters is on the back burner of this discussion, and it's got to be addressed. And again, go read Tom Brugerman on IndieWire. He did a nice mm-hmm. job with it. I will say, talking about the tent poles, though, this is a very healthy sign, the healthiest yet. I mean, we've got a billion-dollar property in – it was in 10 days – across mm-hmm. the billion I believe and then it's it looks like it's carrying momentum through what we hoped would be a very lucrative long Christmas holiday that it's still performing uh, at numbers that, that that wow us on Monday it was 24 million that's that's a wow number and it's I don't know if it's necessarily propping up the rest of the field but I will say this Michael the rest of the field is still doing okay it's not 2019 numbers I did out the 2019 numbers and they're probably about 30 or 40 million better than mm-hmm. the, the 2021 numbers here in terms of the top 10. And maybe it's about 50 million better in terms of the whole field. But it is comparable. We are getting closer to the sense of normalcy, like you said. Or maybe it's just the, the decline, the inevitable decline, uh, because yeah, we do have I, a temple. I'm not sure which it is. Uh, just for means of comparison, did far from home. Had the 25th biggest gross of all time, $1.131 billion. Uh, it was about two to one coming from its foreign or, or international box office versus its domestic box office. No way home right now. That 1.082, according to Box Office Mojo, has it as its 30 as the 30th biggest worldwide opening right now. It's a 54 to 45% split between international and domestic box offices. So it's, I guess we'll concentrate on the good. But nothing else is making money. It's not like people are going to see Spider-Man and then working in a double feature right now. Sing 2 probably did a little less than they hoped. Uh, 22.3 on the weekend. Matrix Resurrections, as Crushed. we... Yeah, Crushed. as we predicted, it it did not do well. Twelve million dollars last weekend, sixty eight point four total. Thus that far, that to me is a bit. And, and look, I mean, Dune still made money. King Richard didn't. Like that, we've seen WB have some success in the theaters, even though they did the day and date platform release. But the Matrix movie after twenty years can't do anything. That's yeah. Matrix and Spider Man are both in theaters, and you nobody knows Matrix is there. The two big glaring red flags for me, because Matrix is at least on the day and date side of things and you can mm-hmm. rationalize it away. The two big red flags are King, the King's yeah. Man, which did very well the previous two installments and now 18 million after yeah. four days, a five, a six million dollar weekend. It, it's exclusively playing in theaters. I mean, I guess the yeah. whole demo, the whole demo is going to Spider-Man and if not Spider-Man, then the Matrix. But that doesn't make sense. The Kingsman should have done way better than that. And I think if, I mean, I mean, maybe if maybe the older crowd, maybe the thirty-something crowd, was the 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 audience, the prime audience for that. I don't get it. 
Uh, not me. <laughs> no. I've had no interest. But but you're right. Just based on financials alone, I I don't understand. I don't have an explanation as to like the, people are showing up to theaters, but they're only showing up for the one showing. Right. Uh, West Side Story still is getting crushed. I mm-hmm. mean, Licorice Pizza's done okay in terms of just kind of expands, uh, expanding nationwide. Uh, Three point seven million thus far. You know, Ghostbusters and Kanto again. They did okay. Kanto's probably playing better on Disney Plus right now. And I watched that three times. Go figure. Over the last few days, Charming, I'm a right? big fan. Yeah, I'm a yeah. big fan. The music, uh, uh, Dos Arugitas, two caterpillars. There, love mm-hmm. that song. Yeah, that, right. that song might be a contender. By the way, I don't understand why that's not more entrenched in the animated feature category. I have no idea. Gorgeous music, uh, and then and then, like you said, the animation blew me away like how how pr- pristine that was the you know the story gets a little you know predictable at times but that's fine sure. I, it sure. was funny though it's again it's so disney you know you could be funny and argue stuff away anyway side sidebar for Encanto. i i am worried about properties like nightmare alley i am worried about legs at the box office and what that's ultimately gonna mean for windows in the future because our demographic, the the twenty to forty, the Oscar movie demographic. If you're telling them, and if all you're telling them, and they become conditioned to do, is wait for, you know, whatever three weeks or forty five days, even up to ninety days to see a movie, they're gonna wait. Especially when you got this three month ramp up. They're going to wait. I think it's, yeah, I think it's going to, I mean, that's certainly true. And I think it stops even before it gets to the audience and what they're going to do with their dollar. Because why would any studio that's got a theatrical right now want to pay out money to have an auteur driven piece of art that's not, that's just going to get crushed? And Netflix has got to be sitting back and laughing, especially when we talk about the numbers don't look up did on Netflix. I mean, Netflix is going to be the home for all these auteur pieces. And that's the other uh, window crunch is that after these movies go from 20 to seven to six or whatever dollars on VOD, they just wind up on a streaming service Mm -hmm. again, like a week or two later, like all these windows have crunched. Ultimately that is going to bite into theatrical grosses more than anything, in my opinion, because the exclusivity of movie theaters of the product, which we just saw, the younger generation who's not conditioned the same way you and I are necessarily the younger generation just showed up in spades to see Spider-Man. So we know people will still go to see exclusive content Mm -hmm. when the exclusive content is there when they want to see it. So Mm -hmm. it's, it's just a shame. They're not playing the rest of the card, right? You either need a superhero property or you need Jared Leto playing Mario, (laughs) but let's be honest about Gucci. Let's be honest about Gucci. Gucci should have done so much better for the amount of buzz it had. And yeah, only it, 111 million total. I mean, it's not like it blew every any no. you know projections away. Certainly, it didn't, it didn't do as well as Ghostbusters, which was did 177 uh, total. So yeah, it's not like nothing is making a ton of money. Again, it, it, unless you want to go back in the previous months where we said, well, horror can still make money and kids' movies can still make money, and now you can add to that the Marvel properties. Well, I, I'll tell you this that, though. I think. One of the silver linings of this entire week is this next story, and that's Spider-Man No Way Home actually having a beyond the text Oscars campaign, an Oscars candidacy uh, at Feinberg, at Scott Feinberg at The Hollywood Reporter. He's leading the charge. He's putting out exclusive articles, uh, interviewing Tom Holland and Amy Pascal, etc. And he's got a new forecast with 
Spider-Man, 10th in Best Picture right now. Get it in there, baby. Yeah, I wrote, I wrote down all of his rankings. I won't go through them all. Suffice it to say, he's got three nominations thus far. Picture at 10th, Sound at 5th, so they're both hanging on right there on the edge, and VFX entrenched in 3rd. Sound and VFX did, in fact, make those shortlists. Director, actor Holland, adapted screenplay, cinematography, costumes, editing, and production design all show up with editing the highest of the rest of those. Yeah, and most of those are in the top 15, too, which is kind of surprising. I mean, this is not something that's like only being dragged around by a couple categories. This is something that's on the periphery of a bunch of these big, bigger categories or below the line stuff. True. However, I'm I'm wondering about its chances breaking in, especially when we've looked at how movies are received by pundits. Like we're just reading the readers like like of Scott Feinberg. We've been studying his work forever, but reading the pundits in particular, we've seen whether it's not just West Side Story and the movies that flop. We saw it with Dune. We saw the spike in its Oscar-y, uh, Oscar campaigns. So Dune was at its peak then, and Spencer was at its peak here. And, you yep. know, when do these movies peak? And it's not just this year. We remember A Star is Born from the Irishman. They all took a place in the, in the pole position at one time or another during their their early falls. And now we have Spider-Man as a late breaker. Kind of, is this its height? Or can it continue to build momentum, especially with this academy that may or may not be desperate for raising the profile of the Oscars with the common people, with raising the profile of the Oscars in terms of its broadcast rating, ratings, yeah. even though everybody said no, no, no. But yes, 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 we, of course we know it. it's the case. Well, that's the thing that this has going for it, right, is that should the Academy want to say, hey, let's highlight movie theaters, this is the only movie that's made money, <laughs> like the type of regular <laughs> money that they get an easy celebration. I mean, there's so many variables that are going in Spider-Man's way this year. The ratings thing, like you just mentioned, does the Academy care about ratings? It's going to be a lot easier to get people to tune into the program if Spider-Man's nominated in a bunch of categories. The celebration of movie theaters is another. I know we're going to talk about this in a second, but Tom Holland being rumored to like be a host, even though he says he can't be a host, but they, he'd be an easy host to love and like, and maybe he hosts alongside a couple other famous people that he's attached with in his personal and professional lives as well. Yeah. Like Every, every kind of tiebreaker that you can see, Spider-Man has a leg up in. And, and not least of which has nothing to do with Spider-Man at all that I think is going to be a bigger deal than people realize is having that static 10 in Best Picture. Like, that's going to raise the profile of at least one movie that nobody really expects to be, make the field because we, we don't have 10 every year. We have been saying this, uh, and that's not just us, but since The Dark no, Knight, no, yeah. we've been saying to to this uh, you know each other over text message, for Christ's sake, never mm-hmm. mind since we've had the podcast, this type of movie is what the the hard 10 was meant right to raise up exactly exactly the and big so blockbuster. look you could say that the variables are there which is the case i kind of just tried to make but apples to apples how is spider-man's resume right now really all that different from something like ford v ferrari which landed a best picture nomination a couple years ago it, it's possible it's possible that it goes that path and a ford v ferrari had four nominations double sound film editing and picture and obviously sound is into one category vfx seems to be entrenched so if it does in fact get sound no way home it's the same resume minus a composition category but Mm -hmm. it's such a technical category that i I understand where, where you're coming from the the big tragedy here is that there's no stunt 
uh, ensemble sure. category. There's no stunt work Oscar yet. I predict that's going to happen within the next year. I, I haven't gone on a limb like this yet, but I do. I think that is they're going to see this year and they're going to say, you know, that th- we have to have a stunt Oscar. This is silly, yeah. and they're going to see this movie, especially if this movie is under nominated. Spider-Man No Way Home. They have to want to nominate this, the Academy and the pe- the powers that be who are over there. So, look, I, I, I've seen other movies. We've seen other movies like a Selma go, you know, picture song. We've seen Hidden finger, uh, Fingers. Figures? Fingers? <laughs> Just go with it. Nope, it's those Hidden Fingers, baby. It has been for months now. <laughs> picture, supporting actress, screenplay. Uh, we've seen... You know, a serious man goes screenplay and, and, and picture. So we've seen fewer nominations with a Best Picture nod still included. Usually it involves an actor or a screenplay nom. Mm. Like you said, at least Ford Ferrari, you know, got an editing composition nom or what I would consider a composition category. I think that matters. This is fighting an uphill battle right now, but it is eighth and editing and ninth in cinematography so you never know i mean it, it could continue to build momentum adapted screenplay it's 11th I, i'm talking about fine birth forecast i said i wasn't gonna spoil it go read his whole list he does an <laughs> awesome job i stuck my neck out on twitter already saying that either spider-man or house of gucci is gonna land a surprise best picture nom so <laughs> i'm just gonna ride that wave until it doesn't happen and uh we'll see what what goes on from there i uh i think you're gonna be right one way or the other and i think you uh make it that way or divine it that way somehow, <laughs> you ass. I am the all-knowing ego and maniacal. Yeah. Uh, but look at I'm, I'm worried for Tom Cruise and my prediction because he might go overboard and just like well floating in space by the end of next year. I don't think having a stunt category at the Academy Awards is going to have anything to do whether or not Tom Cruise ends up in space for real, tape moving, uh, <laughs> filming one of these movies. But I do look forward to the day where stunt is in the Academy Awards and then. None of us know whether to credit stunts or VFX in the same way none of us currently know whether to credit production design or cinematography. So that's exciting for us. Yeah. No, we're, we're going to suck at it. But <laughs> how much does Tom Cruise want to win that first stunt Oscar, right? I mean, think about I, I think, think about to, Tom Cruise. Yeah, to like to to your point, I think just to save him from like parachuting into the Academy Awards in real time, like somebody does in the Super Bowl, let's say, maybe we just give him the honorary <laughs> lifetime achievement Immediate, stunt yeah. award. Yeah, and just save him from himself there. Save him from himself, indeed. All right, so Feinberg's article had a playful headline where Tom Holland is like, "Of course, I'll co- uh, you know host the Oscars." Uh, you read the article. It's not necessarily, you know, pointing to him as that host. Right. And that's why <laughs> if he, if there is any momentum towards Tom Holland actually getting this job and becoming the host of the Oscars, I, I will never be able to be convinced that there's not a handshake agreement behind the scenes that No Way Home is landing a Best Picture nomination. Right. And it makes too much sense, especially yeah. with like the Disney-Sony negotiation. That's a whole mm-hmm. thing we haven't covered yet. I mean, we've been talking to each other about it. But, I mean, would we be at all surprised if any day now, you know, Sony and Marvel are like, ah, oh, we're doing another six movies together. Oh, it, I mean, Forbes had a whole write-up yesterday how it seems like the the leaves are pointing, the, the tea leaves are pointing towards Andrew Garfield is going to be reprising the Spider-Man role for Sony to be in the Sinister Six and Venom movies. Right. This is an article that Forbes, Forbes wrote up by themselves, and then Tom Holland is going to stay within the, the MCU. Sony... 
look, Marvel is genius level. I mean, Kevin Feige is a true genius at story crafting and making money, but Sony is not far behind in terms of, yeah, yeah, keep using our properties. Go ahead. Well, we'll Amy take 80, 80 cents on every dollar. Yeah, Amy Pascal knows what she's doing, and she knows what she's doing in terms of giving uh, interviews to Scott Feinberg's. And uh, I loved, I loved the Oscar push quotes in this article from Feinberg. I mean, Pascal's saying just because they're a certain kind of genre doesn't mean they're not quality movies. I mean, that's what we've been saying for five years. High five. Where the uh, hell was Feige on on that exact quote uh, a couple years ago for Endgame? By the way, true. It's true. I, I do like what Feige said, though. I think like he, he's like, it's a good thing when people are, are in a theater and they stand yeah. up and cheer. And he was all about movie theaters in this quote. Uh, and that's what that's what Spider-Man did for so many people. Everybody got, you know, so hyped. I mean, it, it's hard to do great popular entertainment this well. And again, I, I just saw it for a third time. It was a joy start to finish when you could, like I didn't have to go see it i just wanted to go yeah. see it for that third time it really was fun uh i did pull away some other quotes here though mike because this this bothered me this really bothered me you ready okay feinberg and again he's just a report he's reporting this man's a journalist he's mm-hmm. he's saying that academy members are being encouraged to see spider-man on the big screen uh but they're offering free pass-ins for Anyone and their guest who shows an Academy member card at their commercial theater each Monday through Thursday. Are you kidding me? No, why does that why does that bother you? It bothers me because they're millionaires and they can't spend fifteen dollars for a movie ticket when their industry is on the verge of decay, if not death. Mm. They can't just go to the movies. They Mm. can't just go to the I I get it, they're famous. I get it. I wanna take that clip. And just uh, circulate that to like political podcasts and be like, can you guess where we align? <laughs> I'm so mad at them. Like, you got to offer them movie, free movie tickets. Like, all right, look, it, we're not going to hold the screenings yet. Everybody's seeing this movie in theaters. Go see it with the crowd and get hyped. That's your, that's our best sales job. I get it. And I, I don't understand why all of these old Academy members won't just go to the movies and, and look at they're famous. Some of them can't, or they don't want to deal with the public. Well, I think if nothing else, that shows how serious uh, Feige and Pascal and company are about getting this momentum for a best picture push, right? Because, like, like, look, maybe they figure they've done enough to help theaters, and they've certainly done more than anyone else has so far. So they don't need the money, and maybe they really do want to chase and make a little history with this Marvel property. And I, I, I get the the idea behind it now, ethically and morally. Does it? Does it ruffle my vet? Well, I, yeah, but that's that's how you know. Welcome it's to America. Not a big issue. I mean, I'm not being Larry David here when I I get <laughs> furious at these people who can't pay fifteen dollars or that they need their egos stroked to a degree where they have to have a free ticket. Like that just boggles my mind. Uh, a- anyway, uh, the, Feinberg does give an explanation, and, and in the interview with Holland, uh, Holland gives a, a thorough explanation about why he's busy. He's he's got Uncharted. He's got uh, an Apple TV show that he's about to film. He's got Uncharted, the press tour, that is. And he's not able to host the Oscars, even if he wanted to. But, uh, of course, he would want to, he seems to say. So, 
Well, that's you, also that's why I say you know if they're you know he gave the ex, the excuse yeah well I'd love to but I just can't do it this year and this is the year that that Marvel and Sony would need him to host it to have like you know come some kind of backroom deal handshake agreement go into effect so if right. there is momentum towards it and he all of a sudden frees up his schedule to be able to do it I, I, my my tinfoil hat would peak. Uh, your tinfoil hat is uh, hanging where in your room right now? Is it, just, is, is, is it above your podcasting station and you stare at it the whole time? And there in yourself? The hypno-toad. Yeah. <laughs> also, by the way, as far as Tom Holland's career choices goes, like I have no idea if his team is the smartest or needs the most help because they are throwing this kid in everything. And I don't... I'm very... I guess milk the cow and get all the money you can out of it and help the guy's bank account out and make sure he never has to worry about working again. But he shouldn't have done cherry, although I guess he probably had to stay in the Russo's good graces. So that makes sense. No actor should be doing uncharted period, because that's been poisoned for years, but it's Tom Holland and Antonio Banderas and Mark Wahlberg. So, you know, it's going to at least be a passable fun action adventure romp. So I, I, I'm very, I wish he would stop taking every role that he's taking, but also like, I get it. Mike, was he in that terrible movie from earlier in the year with uh, Daisy Ridley? Yes, yes, that's another one that was that was on uh, on Swell's uh, one of I don't know if it was this year or, the, or last year when we had her on talking about the movies that she was most concerned about or film sets from hell. I think it was actually film sets from hell one of right. the first times we had her on. Oh my yeah, god, he did chaos that as walking. Well. Yeah, he yeah, was in chaos it. walking. Oh, he was in the devil all the time too. Ugh, this is what I'm talking about, Mike. Like, what? he's great as Peter Parker. <laughs> he was a voice in Doolittle, though, so, I mean, he's not all bad. <laughs> it's not like, other than Spider-Man, every single one of his casting decisions has been awful. Like, Uncharted is going to be a disaster. I got news for everybody. <laughs> uh, Razzy level, everything else for Tom Holland. Wow. Uh that is surprising. That is not something I was aware of until right now when we yeah. spoke. That's yeah, a good pull. I don't understand. Like again, he's the hot one of the hottest names in Hollywood right now, and he's saying all the right things on every red carpet, and he can name his price, and he damn well deserves it. So go get that money, man. Thank God for one character role, a great <laughs> audition that he must have had back when. No, I mean, he's great. He's great as a Spider-Man. I love him to death. They forced him and... to agree to to do Cherry before they gave him the Peter Parker No, role. you just reminded me not to see any of his other movies. Yeah, 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 man. It's something I think about way too much. <laughs> That's something I'm going to think about now. All right, let's move on, though. Uh, one more Oscar story before we get into some reviewing. Critics' Choice, they postponed their award show. They released an organizational statement that read, quote, we are in regular communication with L.A. County public health officials, and we are currently working diligently to find a new date during the upcoming awards season in which to host our annual awards gala in person with everybody's safety and health remaining our top priority. So a couple different interesting things about this, Mike. They were on the same day as the Golden Globes. January 9th, now they've postponed because of Omicron. I mean, is the HFPA the luckiest fucking organization in the world? Are you kidding me? Look, I understand they have their problems, and 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 rightfully so. We've scorned them, and I again, like I always say when they come up, it's one thing to say you're going to do the right things, but show me consistently your intent yeah. on changing and doing the right things. But now they have no competition again. 
And there, when the nominations for the Globes came out, there was a lot of coverage on them, a lot more than I expected. They're going to announce their winners. I don't know if they're planning on having people at any kind of gathering. I don't even know if anyone in Hollywood would show up if they did. But right. there were there were videos of people getting informed. I mean, Billie Eilish was on Howard Stern. She got informed about her Golden Globe nom, and her and Phineas were very happy and high-fiving and excited. Like, their name is still out there, and now they're running unopposed. And they're going to have a whole other wave of press coverage that's they're going to be unopposed. And their name's going to be in headlines. Look, it. they tried to go under the radar this year. They tried. Yeah. I can't even be mad at them necessarily, even though I'm mad at them for a lot of things. Sure. Because they purposely did the same day as Critics' Choice. I, I They booked it afterwards, right? Am I, or am I crazy? Am I misremembering? I think I they think booked it afterwards. I thought, I thought it was the other way around. I'm not sure, to be honest, but I know they had no intent on... I mean, they've wanted to find a TV home, but they haven't made efforts to be like, hey, anyone, pick us up. All right, maybe I'm giving them too, too much credit. They're the last organization I want to give too much credit right now, but... Yeah. Regardless, they could have moved off of it as well. I mean, they could have moved off of it the first week. Because, look, there's a long time between award shows this year. It's very strange that mm-hmm. we had the Golden Globes and the Critics' Choice on January 9th, and then we didn't have another major, major award show until late February with the Guilds starting up before the Spirits uh, and the rest of the Guilds with BAFTA in early to mid-March there, Mike. So we... We had a very elongated and spread out award season with clusters of, of various precursors this year. And now we're looking at the Critics' Choice with kind of their pick. I, I know they got to move around the Super Bowl and a, you know, a couple different things, I'm sure, with the Olympics. But they could take their pick on, on another weekend. It would not be beyond my expectations of the Critics' Choice to hear that they picked Super Bowl Sunday either. <laughs> they can't they they can't be that oblivious. They won't do that. I would hope not, but it would not be beyond my expectations for the <laughs> well, choice. Football's terrible this year. I have I have not watched a lot, so I'm not gonna I'm not I've gonna... watched all of it and I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> How bad for you. Uh I forgot we got two more stories before we get into some reviewing, but I guess we're reviewing trailers in this case because we got two new trailers they're biggies the batman trailer three we got to talk about it i thought this was much more of a character trailer mike bruce swain he has pr problems he is not the philanthropist his parents were Uh, (laughs) you know i wondered forever why i was so bothered by rob pattinson's look as Bruce Wayne in these Batman trailers. Because it, it looks like it's Lego hair? Well, yes, in part. <laughs> but also, like, it finally hit me with this trailer. He's rocking the Tom DeLong moppy side part from 2006, which was a time in my life that mm-hmm. I thought Blink-182 would never reform and get back together. So that's a traumatic, <laughs> traumatic flashback for me. Uh, I will persevere, but thank you for all your thoughts and prayers during this difficult time, everybody. Uh, yes, they are uh, always thinking of you, and <laughs> you're right to think as much. Uh, Selena Kyle, again, reckless, heroically reckless, or I dig it. self-destructive. I dig it. Yeah, I like that. That's that's a good. I can get behind the Selena Kyle that Zoe Kravitz is putting out there. I, I there's a lot of appeal there, a lot of mystery. Is she going to be a good guy? Is she really going to be on Batman's side the whole time? That's kind of the walking of the tightrope that character I feel should be doing. So I'm good with that. I'm in. I'm I'm in for that relationship. That's cool. And I and, and I'll even forgive that quip. That cool quip quip. Cool quip. Cool quip. <laughs> uh 
Anyway, it's cat jokes. I'm not always the fan of the cat jokes, but that one was fine. So the Riddler gives another very easy riddle here, Mike. Answers it immediately, too. These have been the two worst riddles from a guy whose entire created persona is based on how good he is at riddles. His whole name is about (laughs) offering up riddles. I am so worried about... I love Paul Dano. He's unbelievably talented i'm very very intrigued by his soft-spoken speaky portrayal that he's putting forth here right but wait these aren't riddles these are just bad one-liners he gives away the answer immediately in the trailer yes Uh, and then you're right it's just like poetic i mean obviously everybody gets the answer that you're not supposed to get the answer immediately you're supposed to (laughs) I mean, Adam West is not supposed to be smarter than you because he ha- but he has the script in front of him, and he, when he finds the answer immediately, you're always like, Da-da! "Damn you, Adam West, you genius!" College Humor had a uh, a Batman <laughs> series. I think I've talked about this on the show before, where Pete Holmes portrayed Batman, but he was yeah. just a, a bumbling idiot. Yeah. yeah. And he, they had, like, this was the setup for one of them, except it was reverse. Like, instead of the Riddler telling bad riddles, the Riddler gave, like, a really obvious riddle, but Batman had to play it dumb enough where he didn't know what the answer was. And that's, like, it's just, it's almost bordering on parody at this point. I just, uh Now, all that said, my complaints about <laughs> really minor details about this trailer, by the way, aside. <laughs> no, that's the way we have to review the track. Come on, we can't, like, just enjoy it right we, of course we have to nitpick. gotta be stadler and waldorf up in the balcony mm-hmm. um i do like the idea that it seems to be suggesting that paul dano is very aware that bruce wayne is batman yeah which is very strange i think mm-hmm. everybody's aware i think i mean that's just my take like it's not alfred selena i think um, that's my guess yeah. hell jeffrey wright seems to be the only one who's unaware and he Deliver. He has the same delivery from the French Dispatch, which is really weird. And he's like doing this comic book thing. Like nobody told him that this was like the Planet of the Apes director and, and the guy who did the vampire kids, the kids vampire movie that was way too serious. Like why? The right one in. Why is Jeffrey Wright doing like the audiobook uh, introduction to like some doll, the James and the Giant Peach story? What like what's going on? I want to give this movie every benefit of the doubt of just being candy because I went into Spider-Man with basically those expectations and was really pleasantly, I was just happy, and even though there's all kinds of holes. And so I don't, like, I'm trying not to be unfair to Batman too, which should just be the same. I shouldn't hold it up to Dark Knight standards, you know? Right. But it's tough, man. <laughs> Look, I, I think there's some cliched, you know, voiceover and dialogue, but are we really that mad at it when we get, like, all these fight scenes intercut in this trailer? Right. Like, it's hilarious if you right. think about it too long. Like, Batman is fighting everyone, and it's all really <laughs> cool and badass, and you get the Batmobile to start. You're, like the, you're following the Batmobile in this close-up, this follow-along close-up that is awesome. And mm-hmm. you just get all these intercuts of the character stuff with, like, another fist fight. And another, you know, a glimpse of a set piece. And I'm in. And we're going to be there on opening night. There's just no avoiding it. Yeah. Uh, I co-sign everything you say. And I am excited for those reasons. I also need to say Colin Farrell shouldn't be in this movie. Because there's been three trailers. And he's been he's been nothing but disrespected and thrown all over the road. 
Yeah, he's he's getting his butt kicked, and I don't know why he's Italian. Was the penguin Italian? I guess the penguin. I have no idea. Burgess he... Meredith was not like meatball eating Italian. It wasn't like mm. this. Jesus Christ! Between Leto and this Irish brilliant thespian, I mean, two guys we really love. I the just the butchery. Of these accents, I'm st- mm. I'm almost getting offended. If I didn't have another bag of licorice to look forward to, I would be offended right now. <laughs> Dip it in a little marinade. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, we're going to watch this movie on opening night, like I said. And we're going to love it, no matter if we nitpick the shit out of it. Mm-hmm. Michael. Uh, I agree with that. Yes, sir. Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. I won't mention where else I saw this, but I do... Uh, want to review this trailer that was released. All right, what do you know about the multiverse? Well, I know that it's an open door floating in the expanse of spinning space. Oh, good, there's that image. <laughs> I know I know that there will be evil squid monsters. Good, mm-hmm. good. There's Check, there's, check. Check. <laughs> and I know that we'll get characters or settings from at least three of the major Disney Plus shows of last year. Mm-hmm. And that's what we get in this trailer. This trailer gives me exactly everything that was intriguing me heading into thinking about this movie. So again, Disney is delivering what I want. Um, how do I say this while respecting your wish to not <laughs> give away where you saw this? Um, I have no, two thoughts. At this point, you can give it away, right? I mean, it's Marvel is playing very dirty by having this be the post credit scene. Right. In in Spider-Man. I did not appreciate that at all. Like you can't just have a regular trailer be the post credit scene for one. Mm-hmm. For two, something happens in the mid credit scene of Spider-Man that I really wonder if uh is going to play a big role tying Doctor Strange in this movie maybe to the Eternal somehow. Really? I don't know how you get there. My, but, my, all right. well, my brother I love my that brother... tease from That's a three-dimensional tr- chess tease right there Maeve called me up and like he he explained something that i i like kind of happens in the comics and i can see it tying to get i can i mean it definitely has to do with the eternals i can see where dr strange would be played into that so it's it's possible that this is a tie-in but all of that is to say that i mean marvel stock is so high right now that it doesn't really matter what they have in store everyone's going to see this movie right now what did you say before endgame they could give us Robert Downey Jr. taking a poop for an hour, and we'll go see it? (laughs) Of course. Here's my $15. (laughs) I'd like to see the poop movie, please. (laughs) Famous man taking a poop. Here's your best picture, Oscar, because we gave it out last year for the same reason. All right. right. (laughs) Michael, we have a couple of best picture contenders to review right now, and the reason why we're putting it at the end of the episode is because one of us is a stick in the mud <laughs> who can't enjoy life or film the way the other does. Michael, Don't mm-hmm. Look Up is a movie that a lot of people are enjoying, that a lot of people are watching on Netflix right now. We'll get to that. I did enjoy my rewatch. This is something I watched a couple Good. weeks ago in theaters. I enjoyed my rewatch. I added some points, even though I was a little more aggravated. I had really high expectations for the first watch for sure. this movie. Understandable, right? Regardless, I love the first hour, both watches. Like J-Law, Jonah Hill, Kate Blanchett, Timothy Chalamet, Rob Morgan, all made me laugh hard at certain points. And I'm a big fan of Adam McKay humor when he's on his game. Yeah, That being uh, said. I'm with you all the way so far. Go ahead. 
that being said, I think the second half struggles, but there's still highs. And, and yeah, I'm going to a butt. I, I think the theme song is great. Might be the best movie music of the year. I've been listening to that 48 second track on Spotify on loop. Love that trumpet. No, I don't know how he hits it. Love it. I, I, if you want to tell me Leo needs another nomination, I'm not going to argue with you. If you want to tell me that Leo and Rylance both deserve noms from that scene in the airplane hangar alone, which was a bright spot of the finish, where Andrew put it, uh, Rylance has these shark-like dead eyes, you know, going full Bond villain there. I can't argue with you. Mark Rylance is is phenomenal in this, is, is my two cents there. And I think he should be nominated just because of what he played in Trial of the Chicago 7. Because for that guy to be this guy, <laughs> that's unbelievable to me. But, go ahead. We have a finale that is number one. It's a half hour too long. Agree. Like, Agree. Easily cut a Agree. half hour. Like, there's no... There's nothing unpredictable in this movie. I, I know exactly what is hurtling towards the movie and where the climax is going. No, exactly. So it's not like I'm waiting for this. I'm, yeah, I'm waiting for the spectacle, but they make me wait for the spectacle of it. And then, and then you have all this political parody when I think the movie was more in the satire lane. Even though it's the metaphors are thin. Obviously, we got the, the biggest... Uh, climate change activist cast in the lead of this movie. So a metaphor hurtling towards Earth is very thinly, you know, uh, it's almost a lateral move in terms of Oh, that of one the didn't imagery. get by you, did it, huh? Yeah, all right, come on. <laughs> but then you go, you literally take the antagonists and you turn them into one political party of this movie. And I just, like, that is just some low-hanging fruit that... But does it work a little better if both sides think it's about the other side well i wonder if they if he pulled that off then yeah but i there's no ambiguity towards the end of this film when they're all wearing red hats and yeah there's just yeah. it's not like you can make that dance at all i mean you got to be in serious denial to think anything but i mean i get you know, Meryl Streep playing the role, it makes you, you know, pause perhaps. But I, 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 I don't get, I don't get why he goes that to that level of parody when he could have. It was so much smarter for the rest of the movie. Anger, Anger yeah, is the it's, why. that's the thing, and yeah. I don't think it works when you know we have the clear and present dangers still, and that's not just climate change. That's how do, how do you do? Uh, you know, political parody after Trump when he was just a walking, talking parody himself. Yeah, I mean, it's impossible. I mean, you can't look at the last season of Veep. It's it's the mm. same problem. I think I, I agree. Look, uh, the reason everything you're saying, I I completely understand, and that's also why I think this movie has no shot at winning any Oscars. At winning, yeah, I, I really, I really, truly believe that. I don't think this this is going to be. I mean, it might land a couple nominations here and there just out of talent of its cast, and yes. I fully believe Leo was like, hey, can I do a Dick Cheney fourth wall break in universe and just scream at everyone about my frustrations about where the climate is in this country or right. literally? Uh, yeah, I, I totally buy all of that. And yeah, it's heavy handed tour against one party. I would agree. I think there's some 
ambiguity, maybe a little, I shouldn't say some, maybe a little more ambiguity than you give it credit for, but I also won't be, you know, I'm not going to willing to die on that hill either. I can, if you want to tell me it's all against the, the right, then yeah, I can totally see why you feel that way. You have to go so outlandish though to get past the Trump hyperbole that well, this is but that's sense. right. You're not wrong, but that's also why I say like if this movie came out in 15 years, it's going to be a documentary. Like this uh. is where we are. Like politics is such a fucking team game at this point. It's a joke in this country. Nothing can possibly get done because of the overexposure of media and the obsession with celebrity culture. Like it's just never going to happen anymore. We're we are quite literally screwed. And that's why I think this movie. I mean, it's one of my. I, I only gave it a B grade. I I agree it has some shortcomings, but it's also one of my favorites. But I think it's more of a litmus test as to the type of person you are and how you see this country and, and the world, quite frankly, more so than a movie in and of itself. Like, if you're deep down, if you have hope for humanity and you think, like, we can come together and come above this, I think you're going to hate this movie. I hate this movie. I love this the movie. The way it makes it me feel. <laughs> right. Because yeah, well, I try to be that. I don't know. Right. I think I am I get that it. way. That's I get the it. dynamic here between you and I me. I completely, and I think that's I think that's the point. I think Adam McKay is more, he's just Where's a Where's my bag of licorice, god damn it? <laughs> I think he's just a cynical person that says, look, man, if we keep this shit up, we're fucked. Well, and that- I wholeheartedly agree uh, the i told you so fantasy of this movie i i understand why he goes there and i get the insufferable didactic slant of the last hour the problem is that it's death it's death to comedy and i don't even laugh well, at the death. funny stuff for that last hour like there's a fun like jennifer L- lawrence cracking and referring back to something hilarious that happened in the first act with the general that killed me that killed me me. but i can't even laugh because i'm just mad but that's but that's that's what i think this i i get it like this is this is how i saw this movie it's a total litmus test like if you have if you're stuck on the train tracks and you can't move and the train's coming towards you you're gonna react in one of two ways you're either gonna worry about it and be like oh shit and think about your life are you gonna be make some kind of self-deprecate well I had a good run. Like that's that's what this movie is. It's one of you're either yeah. you're one person or the other, I think, watching it. I am really concerned for you. Um, well, it's the it's the beauty of what's made our podcast listenable. <laughs> like, I, I started thinking about all this stuff. Like, you are the eternal optimist, and I have been a, a cynical bastard, and it's like this this is I get it. I, to- I totally understand it. Just maybe taking a step back though and trying to diagnose why you know why the characters maybe don't work is that i i understand you have to take a step back from them at arm's length for where they go but they all like jump the shark to such a degree where they either assassinate themselves the joke goes too far you play the extra 20 minutes of the joke with kate blanchett and leo for instance like i needed this dramatization grounded in the characters and especially the Jennifer Lawrence character. I thought like if she had more of a redemptive arc or at least a payoff, like she doesn't get a payoff for that last hour. It doesn't happen. All she does is refer back to something funny she said in the first hour. But what's the payoff for somebody who's been living in this country and is just beaten down by, like, was was rallying against Trump because of all the awfulness and horrible things and then right. watches Biden break every promise that he made along the campaign trail, too? What's the payoff for that person in this country? That's the sadness of it. Well, it's that's what I, I know. 
<laughs> it's hard to joke through that sadness. But that's so, I so you're writing a comedy. I think all you I think all you can do in that moment is constantly hyperfixate on why a four star general would try to rob you out of two dollars. <laughs> it's funny and it's true. At <laughs> that one moment, when I think back to it, but while I'm watching it, I can't even laugh. I can't even laugh I get at the Shalomans. I stuff. totally get it. You would be horrified and crying at that dinner table, and I would be guffawing. I would be eating licorice and pizza. <laughs> if ever there was a moment where I'd do it, that would be it. But all right, let's let's take one more step back further. Don't Look Up is atop the Netflix top 10 during Christmas break, which must be a stupendously high number of viewings. Even, I mean, they came out with some kind of... 111 million hours worth of You know what I need to do, viewings? Mike, is I need, to, I need to start, like, just keeping a folder on my laptop of every time Netflix makes mention of their hours and their numbers. But here's the thing. I, I, number one, I love that they made mention of the hours and not just clicks on this mm-hmm. one because everybody criticized them for the uh, clicks last time. And, every, mm-hmm. oh, what does a click mean? Oh, it means more than two minutes. Everybody criticized that? All right, fine. 111 hours, 111 million hours. Now, take the air out of the balloon when we say the number of hours, because that means at least 55 million, right? I mean, that's crazy. That's crazy. 55 million? It's already made a half a billion dollars worth of box office if it was released. You know, in terms of viewings, $10 tickets there, that's crazy. Crazy high. And compare that to the Nightmare Alleys and the West Side Stories and what every, every other adult drama Holy or adult comedy cow. is doing. And this is why I say, I, I mean, Netflix, Guillermo del Toro's next movie is going to be on a streaming service. Mike. I, I wholeheartedly believe that. If if we look at that number and we, we take it back a couple of weeks to what's still probably a high traffic area for Netflix and the power of the dog. And when the power of the dog was number one. Sure. What was that? Yeah. 10 million? 20 million? Either way. Again, you know. Turn it into butts and seats. That's a hundred to two hundred million dollars worth of box office. Mm-hmm. That is a huge number, huge number in terms of viewership. These movies are getting watched. People are again. I keep saying it. People are watching. You want to give me? You want to get some optimism? Here it is. People are watching more movies than ever. More people are watching more movies than ever. Young, old, everybody. After the pandemic. They're just watching more movies at home. That's the thing. But there's also, uh, look, I mean, you can put Don't Look Up on because Leo and J-Law are, are nice and nice to have on in the background. And they feel like family members because of the parasocial relationship we have with them at this point in their careers. And then you can go, you know, wash your car and wash your floor and not really pay attention to what's going on, too. Yes, but still, I will say this. The fact that this is such a political movie, such an over-the-top political movie makes me gives me some hope that adam mckay is actually getting through to people because this message is very clear and this message is delivered as this fun is, as it probably could I mean, be delivered is, in this is a microcosm because you know what it tells me that the electoral college is never going to go away <laughs> yeah no true but <laughs> because look at, there's no shot like i i yeah you're right i hope so i hope you're right man i really do and it, it'd be great mm-hmm. to see and it'd be great if this movie had a bigger message to it and the fact that it is number one on netflix and it's doing those kinds of hours like man i hope for nothing but the best to come of this it'd be nice if somebody was shook and loose and, and won over by the arguments sure i criticized adam mckay after vice for preaching to the choir i was like mm-hmm. who's this movie for i mean conservatives are not watching vice Sure. They're not watching it, and, so, and you're just talking to liberals. So why, just why the fu to them? It's not helping anybody. It's just an fu. It's just bitter, man. You're just left with the bitterness. We're not 
in that realm with Don't Look Up because Don't Look Up is being watched by everybody, 55 million in one weekend or one week. It's absurd, whatever that is. So both sides of the aisle have to be watching this movie. So that message is getting across to both sides of the aisle. I mean, my screening was packed before this movie dropped on Netflix with kids. This is a good, all I'm saying, it's a good sign. And if you're right about the kind of going down the middle for a little bit of this movie, and, and maybe that's that, maybe that was a dirty trick, but I, I, I think, I think he's getting his points across is what I'm going to say. And I don't, I don't blame him for going to Netflix, number one, and I don't blame him for going to uh, uh, to this level of didacticism in the script. I mean, again, anyway, he's fighting a good fight is what I'm trying to say. Uh, I The headline to me still is, hey, if you have a screenplay, if you're a well-known director, come to Netflix. The audience, I mean, go to the people, right? Yeah. Right. I mean, why why, why get told by a studio how poorly your movie's doing in traditional box office when you can get 50 million people in a week? Unbelievable. Unbelievable numbers from Netflix, if if that's true, or how how it's true, I don't know. I mean, does everybody turn it on and turn it off? I don't know. I mean, they, we don't know the full picture necessarily, but sure, certainly looks like a high number. All right, I want to kind of rip through couple of quick reviews i don't know if this is gonna be a it's not gonna be a full review but being the ricardos i rewatched this movie with okay my parents all right over the holiday and they are both upset with me because okay. also mom and also dad loved it and they're very upset with me for not loving it as much as i i i didn't love it the first time i watched it now i enjoyed it more upon rewatch a a ron the man can write he can write. Uh, yeah, yeah. Mr. Sorkin can write a script. Uh, the VFX and makeup, still terrible, painful to behold. It's softer and darker and less problematic on a smaller screen. That's the truth. So I had less of a problem on rewatch with the de-aging and all that, even though it's still problematic. So being the Ricardos is a well-composed story. It's an awesome look behind the curtain. Yeah, it's some fantasy, but it's... I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure there's artistic license, but I mean, if you want to know about Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz, and uh, this is, this is, seems to be a very satisfying kind of portrait uh, for fans like my parents. They, they love, they ate it up and they, they've read, and my mom's read books on Lucy, uh, Desi and Lucy and, and my dad, mom both grew up and, you know, they were telling me stories during the movie. I couldn't avoid it. <laughs> huh. About how they would watch, you know, like an episode before they went to bed, an episode when they woke up, when we were kids, kind of thing. Huh. That's pretty cool that they have that kind of attachment to it. So I'm sure that movie going in that meant a lot to them anyway to see their, uh, their and it delivered for them is what yeah. I'm trying. Yeah, I mean, it delivered in a big way. So I wonder if we go back to your initial estimation of the first reaction, where you were like, "No, I think this is going to play with Hollywood." And you might be right. I mean, because that's the demographic of the old academy. Our our parents' age, or at least in that twenty year ballpark area, that may just you know adore this movie, and it it's going to squeeze into more nominations than we think. I keeping the pulse on what the academy is going to do. I mean, from bombshell to green book and everything in between. I it's it's becoming a fruitless endeavor. You just kind of kind of have to ride the wave. So I would not be shocked either way. All right, last review here before the big review. 
Matrix Resurrections. Mike, I, I had fun watching some of this. Like, I know people were killing it on film Twitter, and other people were, like, defending it ferociously on film Twitter. I'm in the middle. I'm not... Yeah, I, I, I don't. Too. I don't... Re- oh, okay, so you watch this, too. So yeah. I don't react very hard to this movie. I... I thought that entire first hour had a lot of fun stuff because that's that's my biggest takeaway from this movie yeah. to be honest. Like yeah. Lana Wachowski basically giving the middle finger to WB <laughs> and WB being like, "Yeah, we'll air this." Like, good for both of you guys. Good for both of you for having the balls to go through with this and do what you wanted to do. It's a ton of nostalgia, but in a fun meta way. And there's this parallel plot is just the audaciousness of it. It's a lot of uh, anger and feeling towards sequel culture. I mean, yeah. basically, this first hour is talking about why Hollywood has to make so many sequels. It's so bizarre to see a studio be okay. But, I mean, credit to WB because it's bizarre to see something like Joker be greenlit by a big studio as well. So, as much as, as many problems we have with that movie, I mean, WB's got to be given credit for to at least say, like, they seem to be more willing to be hands-off with their properties. Right. Uh I do think I wanted them hands-on with a few other things, though. That would have uh, been like nice. <laughs> the middle 30 minutes, maybe. That like from, nice. From, like, 60 to 90, there's, they just keep going. And this was the problem with the Matrix sequels, Reloaded and Revolutions. Like, the conversations go on too long. We get it. You read philosophy books and theology books, and you like fighting, and you like talking. We get it. But in this you know, particular movie... I think Neo movie, might be Jesus in this movie. <laughs> in this particular movie. It's just the callbacks don't stop, and they should have stopped. Like, do that for the setup. Do that for the first 40 minutes, even. I'll buy it. I'll I'll eat the whole bag of licorice, man. I will. But <laughs> I want to inject... I want to inject Lana Wachowski with truth serum. And I... Like, what yeah. did you actually want to make a great statement piece here or was this entire thing just the middle finger right and, and i i would be all for the middle finger at uh, i just mm-hmm. don't necessarily I, I think she tried to thread the line and that's hard to thread and it was hard to transition is what i'm saying it was hard to transition from you know through act two into the, the big finale which of of course, in beautiful Matrix fashion, goes for like 40 minutes. I mean, you mm-hmm. get a 40-minute action set piece that, you know, pump that into my veins. I'm all in. Sure. And Same. I enjoyed it. So the movie didn't fatigue me enough to where I couldn't enjoy the finale, but I was bummed the kind of sideline characters that I really like. I mean, Mor- Morpheus, yeah, you have Dual Mateen. Why sideline him? He's the most fascinating character set up of the film. See, I feel that there. I feel the opposite. I feel like he was kind of yada yada into the film, and I kind of was like, "Oh shit, I didn't expect that to be." Done. I had He's so like, many questions. Listen, listen, I'm Morpheus now. Just go with it, okay? <laughs> <laughs> I had so many questions about I'm Morpheus now. I wanted to know all the details, and I liked that. You know, but they, that's what I'm talking about. Like maybe that yeah. was intentional. Maybe it was just like you don't get an ex- explanation. We're not doing that this time. Uh, I, I, I don't know. You explain every other fucking. All right. Anyway. <laughs> There's hilariously bad makeup with a returning character. Hilariously bad. Because she's such a beautiful actress that mm-hmm. it's just like make it boggles my mind why they would put her in a you know a ninety year old actor's you know <laughs> it's just the silliest, silliest nonsense thing. Mm-hmm. And then like half the Trinity stuff works and the other half is so stupid. Like, and I'm, I'm not talking about you. the very end. I love the very end. Fine. I Fine with that. I had no idea what was going on with Trinity the entire movie. <laughs> the face and the heel turns in this are silliness. 
pure mm-hmm. silliness. Like you can't do that. It undercuts your. What are they doing? Like I number one, I don't believe them. Number two, <laughs> when they happen, I'm just like finally. But that's that. I mean, you you're really going for it, aren't you? Like you're really turning on everybody. <laughs> and what? Yeah, we get. It's like I I don't even want to say no spoilers or. They're, look, people change in this movie. When they do change, it's funny instead of awesome, and that's a problem. I, I, uh, yeah, this movie is fraught with problems. I agree, but I like. I don't know, man. We it's not like it's the first sequel to the Matrix, and it's all we had. You're right. We had yeah. Rev- revolutions, and and what was the other one? I don't even remember. Reloaded. So yeah, yeah, that's the so, thing. Like, like the yeah. highs are right. We like we haven't had a Matrix movie that's going to blow you away with story since 1999. True. So, so let's just let's just have fun right. in the world. Right. And uh, I'm into the philosophy and I'm into the theology to an extent so that I could I could see it once. I probably won't rewatch The Matrix Resurrections and I probably will watch Matrix 5 once. And if they make <laughs> it great and if they don't, yeah, I mean, do you do you need Matrix 5? I don't know. The the whole I don't know that I need any Matrix other than nostalgia's sake. Like that's why I was kind of surprised at the reaction of people. Like, oh my god, it's so terrible. Like, yeah, but what did did like you really? VFX have come so far from when these movies were like breaking new ground with them that there's no possible way this 20 year old IP was going to revolutionize everything once again with the same cast. I just didn't see it happening. Maybe that's a difference in expectation going in between me and everybody else. I don't know, but that's just how I saw it. Yeah, no, you saw it right. (laughs) (laughs) All right, another movie you kind of saw rightly, correctly, kind of talked me off a ledge on was Licorice. You were not happy about this. Licorice Pizza. All right, I'll I'll explain a little bit why I'm not happy about this. And the first reason is that all I wanted to do was eat, (laughs) eat two of my favorite foods at the same time. Is that just, is that so much to ask? I wanted to do it as a gag, but I... I wanted to do it so I could laugh in your face. I mean, just I would feel the, t- I would taste, I would taste how right I was. It'd be disgusting. I, I don't think I'd be able to get through it. <laughs> Unfortunately, we we can't just both enjoy an actual licorice pizza, and I blame Paul Thomas Anderson, but but more I blame myself in a way because, you know, I I just I let TikTok rile me up. I think I let you know I didn't. I wasn't on TikTok necessarily. I was reading all the articles and think pieces about TikTok. Okay, and that was going to be my first question because I do. I, I don't use TikTok. I like go through it, but I don't make any. I'm not a creator in any aspect. But I did not see in my scrolling anything about this. So that was going to be my first question: is what was the was it the same issues that you had that we discussed? You know what I follow. You know what I fo- I follow movie reviewers. Mm-hmm. I follow film Twitter. Everybody's praising like from major major publications that we we love and we follow like their marquee critics are calling this a beautiful romance and we don't see it that way and you actually took the mature viewing on the first try so tell me how you viewed licorice pizza we're not going to spoil it uh but please well the the central romance that is discussed in this is between what's on on tape as and is told to us as a 25 year old maybe a 28 year old it depends yeah. on what you want to believe and a 15 year old which means a sophomore in high school PTA, i can i just interrupt yeah, for a second ahead. but pta 
He does say in the interviews they don't cross the lines in the script, and he's right. They don't cross the lines physically. It's not a movie about them having sex. This is not this is not Red Rocket, even though Red Rocket, the actor is twenty six and the other actor's forty six. Rambling at the time Rose, of the yeah. Anyway, but we're, um, we're, portray- but the- we're not portraying a felony on screen. Right, and I didn't even think this was a romance. I didn't think this was a rom-com. I thought this was a tragedy, this movie, because yeah. the two main players, Cooper Hoffman and Alana Haim, they're, they're just, they're people, the characters are be- people being who they think other people need them to be. Like, Cooper yeah. Hoffman is, sees people as disposable. He's a showman. He's a shyster. He's a hustler. He's always, I mean, we see him throughout this movie make three or four different businesses that are going to bring him like a, mo- a small monetary gain in a small amount of time. A lot he's of propelled. High. He's propelled by the culture. He's propelled by the patriarchal society that he's sure. in. He's propelled by the industry that is allowed to legally employ children and empowered by the, the wallet that that creates with him and his family and empowered by his mother who's, you know, he starts the own PR firm. I'm, I'm not really spoiling anything beyond the first 10 minutes so he he is enabled and emboldened to take these steps and alana heim who i think is actually the main character of the movie anyway i mean she is just a lost soul like everything about her made me so sad and i i can relate to her because i too have been lost like that but it's just she is so desperate for the attention and acceptance and appreciation of any kind of father figure essentially that she gets wayward and she ends up finding it a solace within this 15 year old kid who essentially sees her i mean they both think it's love when the reality is it's a toxicity between the two of them. That's what yeah, makes it a tragedy. She's abused into it from the very first scene. I mean, it's the Stockholm Syndrome, uh, to her relationship with men, just in general. I mean, she goes from one toxic relationship to another in the film, literally. And and uh, without, with no break. I mean, it's, 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 it got, it gets to a point where she's about to kiss one man and she drops that because a man of higher stature immediately calls her and needs her attention. Like, she's I just, think she, PTA is very clearly just, you know, criticizing the hell out of of the whole environment that he grew up in. And oh, yeah, I, I, this is what I said to you, too. Like, I right. don't think I don't think PTA is at all approving of this relationship. And I like these two people can't end up. To, it's not going to be successful anyway. Well, even the if the payoff is is big and illustrious and I won't say what it is. Sure. But I agree with you that you could you could take – there's text and there's subtext, so let's just say. All right, so you helped me take this deep breath and think more clearly about, about this movie because, like, look, I, I see Cooper Hoffman and I see an 18, 19-year-old kid. I actually thought he was a little older. Yeah, the He's- problem you had with the relationship between uh, Margaret Qualley and Brad Pitt and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood – She's 25. She's right. not 15. Right. If you were to show an actual 15-year-old and an actual 25-year-old, then the optics would be much more disturbing. I completely agree with you. And of course, you're not going to sexualize an actual 15-year-old actor right. in a movie on, and, and go through that minefield of, for, for the sake of art, because you probably, you know, if you, any misstep and you're being locked up, and rightfully so, and you don't want to put the kid through that. Elsie Fisher had just graduated eighth grade right. when they filmed the scenes in eighth grade. That's third. But 14. she's not really sexual. She's right. She's not sexual. Well, I'm, no, I'm saying that's that's the, the type. End. That's the type of person you'd have to be sexualizing. That's the that's the proper age. That exactly. You have to, yeah. 
Right. You know, and TikTok was right when they said that, uh, who's the kid from uh, Room Mike? Darn it. Tremblay. Who's the kid from? Tremblay. Jacob Tremblay. Jacob Tremblay looks looks young. And 15-year-olds who I work with, you know, every day of the week, they look closer to baby deers than they look <laughs> like deer Evan Hansen's. You know, they don't look old. They look like babies for the most part. And I even work with the athletes who are as muscled up as any 15-year-old's going to be, and they're big and burly, and, you know, and they look like babies. They They all do at that age. I never give any credit to any explanation in any movie. And that's as far as I'll go talking about movies and the movie portrays. When a movie character talks about they looked older, it's bullshit. And that's yeah. what I've said from the beginning. And that's this this problem with these port- artistic portrayals is that you can't allow it to become this uh, misconception because it is anything but in reality. Well, And the central anything- question... Like, this could have been easily avoided. Like, the central question I still don't have an answer for, why did it have to be 25 and 15? Does it does why? the plot suffer at all if it's 23 and 17? I don't think so. If he's 17 turning 18 and he's not quite legal yet, and all right, I mean, that is much more believable. It doesn't change the plot at all. But to tell me his, he's 15 is absurd. Yeah. Especially this, you know, precocious kid who, again, he's still too young, but of course... He's a grown ass man. He's a grown ass man, and he looks like a grown ass man, and he looks like the grown ass man that was his, you know, beautiful father who we saw in twenty movies. Barbara Streisand's husband at the time isn't going to be taking direction. I mean, he sees that kid show up in his driveway to install a water bed. He's turning him around and asking where his father is. You know, if he looked like a fifteen year old kid, there would be torches and pitchforks out in front of. You know, PTA's home right. right now. And PTA knows this. They're not going to cast a younger actor. But the, the I just feel like it's silly. And, and and it's just almost, I don't know, it's just negligent or ignorant to cast the older kid and put him in, put him in this situation. Like, I don't buy it for a second. So when I watch this movie, I know he's not 15. Because I work with 15-year-olds all the time. So I'm, I'm not... It's not that I buy the script. Like, if I read this script and watched the movie, those are to- two totally different experiences for me. When I watch, when I read this script, I'm furious mm-hmm. because of that relationship, and I want to kill her because she can only be a predator in my brain because you can only be a predator when the 15-year-old's involved because that is clearly child abuse and clearly statutory rape, even though this movie doesn't portray sex between the two characters, period. But still, if, if that's the situation... There's no ambiguity. There's none. And this movie obviously has a grown-ass man in the role because legally in the state of California, whether it's 1975 or today, an 18-year-old is considered a grown-ass man in the court of law, and he's very obviously that old. So it's like it's strange to watch this movie and, and, and have that whole tussle in my brain. Like you almost forget at times, and then I'm just watching a painfully awkward romance of characters that are doomed and ill-fated and shouldn't be together and you know you get this really weird situation one after another develop and and obviously they're satirical so i guess we can get into that part of it but it's just very aggravating to me this entire setup yeah it'd be it'd be more i'm more forgiving of it because of the messaging 
of the story, which to me was so clearly these two people cannot coexist. Like they should. It's it's yeah. doomed for failure. I don't I don't know any other way to put it. There's no way the two of them end up happy together. I think that's that was made very obvious to me, and that's kind of what makes the ending uh, without giving too much away. Like I, I think there's an irony here, and, and it's, there's there is that kind of that subtext to all of this that you know I not to excuse it because you're right. If you put a real 15 year old on screen. It looks gross. If you, I mean, the, we had a whole problem. We made tons of jokes about Evan Hansen looking, having problems yeah. with the optics and the same thing. Like, and I don't it's have a lose, an lose why, situation. Why can't this be 24 and 17? What do you lose by making it? Tw- like, I don't know. I don't know what right. the answer to that is, but because PTA so very clearly to me is saying this is wrong on a lot of levels, I, I guess I'm more willing to, to separate the art from what would be in my mind if I were to read the script. Yeah, he's a second-generation filmmaker. He's a Hollywood life. And that's the other thing. That's the other part of this is that you have a, a bunch of critics and a bunch of filmmakers and a bunch of people attached to the industry that are in their 40s and 50s and 60s that lived through the 70s. And yeah. I don't know how many frustrating conversations with older people you've had, but I've had a ton, not yeah. just, you know, in and out of my family, where it was like, you know... It was just a different time. Like what Harvey Weinstein did was awful, but Ugh. you know, a girl, a guy chasing his secretary around, it was just Ugh. a different time. Right. And I mean, to us, to our generation, it's so like, what I the just... fuck are you talking about? But it's a real yeah, but thing you know that's what? out we, there. Look, it, I, I get what you're saying, but we would have reacted the same way 20 years ago. I'm not ago. saying it's an excuse. I'm not saying no, it's an I mean, excuse. But, you, but there's, I don't, th- like, it's not just the, I, I mean, I get what you're saying, but it's not just the wokesters that get mad at the misogyny right 20 years ago we would have been furious at at, at weinstein what the fuck I, 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 I was furious I'm i i was furious in a college dorm room watching the movie manhattan furious like ripping pissed got in a huge argument with my roommate hating woody allen for that portrayal but here's I, here, if, here's here's a difference Mike. losing it if if we have children and yeah. 20 years from now our kids look back at some of the stuff that like comedians got away with in 2003 to 2005 there's no way you right. can say it then and they're going to have the same reactions and what's our excuse going to be it was a different time it was more acceptable by, by society that doesn't make it right we were all assholes for accepting it but it's true like that's that's the mindset that that generation the older generation than us has about the 60s and well, 70s we would and be stuff. wrong I, would I, I agree with you, you. i agree destined to be wrong i think we are and i think that's part of being human well Maybe that's progress personified. I I still would say there's some lines crossed in this film that have been lines that always, you know, when they were crossed should have been, you know, criticized and enraged over. And I I don't know. I just think I I do. I I think you're giving yourself less credit than you deserve for having a moral center 20 years ago or for or for these guys not knowing what they were doing was so wrong, not knowing that abusing alana's character alana kane in this movie was so wrong i think they knew exactly what they were doing back then they were predators and they were abusers and yeah was there a mob mentality and maybe they thought by seeing it done elsewhere it was okay to do themselves and i'm sure they thought that but it's just i mean it's it's a night it's a nightmare what the undertones of this movie that are also in the text like but the undertones it's just like this it's just the screech in my brain as I watch it. And that's, it's hard. Again, it's hard to write satire through that. Like mm. you really got to be pitch perfect. 
and he unfortunately he's not like his biggest criticism was the white man being uh overtly racist to his japanese wife in the pr office and nobody laughed in my theater at either screaming we all just uh, screening we all just squirmed and groaned Maybe I mean my theater had a bunch of people laughing. My entire theater was laughing at that, but maybe maybe the intent was to get you squirming because I didn't understand. Like I I I laughed as like a Jesus Christ, what the fuck is he thinking at that type thing? Yeah, it's it's so hor- horrifying that yeah. you freak out. I don't know. I like my problem with this movie is that the awkwardness does not subside. Like if you have a big scene where you're actually criticizing like Sean Penn or Bradley Cooper and they're so over the top that it's funny. And then they were. Like you follow that up with like the most awkward scenes in the movie, like the waterbed. Like what are we doing? Like, I, and then she has, she's got this crazy thing with the political campaign where it's starting but, to get but serious. Yeah, but that's, that's, I mean, look how radically she shifts her fucking constitution of who she is and what defines her. She just, she's so desperate to be accepted I get by why. anything. Of course, we get why. I mean, it's it's crystal clear in the script, but she, the fact that you get those scenes and then the payoff is just like this fate worse than death, which is why you're exactly right. I mean, this is a tragic comic movie. I just felt sad. I didn't feel awkward. I just felt sad. I felt sad the entire movie for both of them, for both of the leads. Yeah. Like everything they did just made me so depressed and so unhappy because it's like, well, it's, 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 well, I got, mean, that's the, that's the, the burden of youth too, right? Like you don't, you know, you think there's, you have to live by certain standards. You have to define yourself some type of ways and it gets you into stupid thinking and it gets you into trouble. The melancholia of a movie like this, it would, it would just be absurd to see it, you know, all across the Oscars. Like I just don't. I like I don't understand. It's not going to do anything for the uh, for the hyperbole that Hollywood is a bunch of pedophilic elites. <laughs> I mean, no, it's not going to do. It's not well going to draw in any any. It's not going to reach across the aisle at all politically. It it's just such an easy movie to misconstrue, and I fell victim. I, like I was angrier than this, much angrier than this, just last night. And I really had to sit with it, and I, you really had to help me. But like, I just, I, I, I get that Paul Thomas Anderson has good intentions going into this movie, and it's pretty clear what he's trying to joke about. the The danger is joking about stuff this evil and fucked up. You know, I mean, you gotta, you gotta be a great comedian to pull that off. And unfortunately, whether it's inherent vice or this, he doesn't pull off all the jokes. I mean, maybe bats 500 and you can't bat 500 in my opinion, when you're dealing with this subject matter. And that's the problem. Like there's so many want, want, want jokes to this movie that I'm just let, I'm left literally squirming in my seat. I'm just trying to think, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to think in terms of Oscars, because it's going to end up nominated. I mean, it. it I don't you know, think it should be. And, it, and it, everybody wants to nominate for him for the script. National Board of Review, best movie of the year. The, the Five Bloods last yeah. year, Uncut Gems. You know, so that, it's Did not Uncut like Gems one, I think, but, but it's not like. I mean, MBR has no cross cut with the. I mean, it's academic. No, but, but I just it's, you're right. It, it doesn't mean it's a slam dunk. But I just bring that up to say it's you know it's right there in the conversation. 
as the other films that have won have been. But isn't this the vetting process that should happen? I mean, all right, he's trying to encapsulate his childhood and he's trying to process all this horrible shit during the pandemic, looking back as his kids grow up and grow into this age. I just feel like he's going to kick himself for where this movie should have gone. And he kind of follows a lot of tropes and structures that he's done with these other movies handling other subject matter. Like, it's okay to have murder be the end game for a certain movie. I'm not going to spoil the movies on his CV. It's it, it's okay to have immoral characters doing immoral things at the ends of those movies. Almost every one of them to a movie. All nine of his films ends with some character doing some horrible shit and it's portrayed in this grandiose fashion because he's a terrific filmmaker and usually we're we're right there with him and we, we know it's terrible and immoral, but we're not praising the immorality. We're praising the... You know, we're, pra- we're praising the catharsis of it all. We understand why, how society's gone that so wrong. And he's speaking so incisively to it. This movie, I don't feel like he gets what he's talked about. But like, you're also very like close he, to the sub. You're also very, very close to the controversy. His kids are going to be 15 very soon, not that far off. He's gonna look. He's gonna look back at this movie and be like, "What the? F- what am I? What was I doing? I had to work with Cooper Hoffman, I guess." You know, I mean, he's yeah. just going to be like, this is preposterous. I guess <sighs> what I'm hearing is that you want both House of Gucci and Spider-Man to be Best Picture noms. Is now I do. <laughs> if that's what it takes, <laughs> damn it. No, this should not be a Best Picture nom. I, I don't, I'm sorry. I don't, I don't think it should be. And, and I, again, the filmmaking's there. He's got some great scenes in it. Scenes that involve this romance and that don't. And I, again, he's speaking on another level, which is great, but it's just. It doesn't, it doesn't jive. It doesn't sink. It doesn't work, unfortunately, because he's not funny, and and it's and you probably and maybe nobody is funny making jokes about these subjects, because it's impossible to make jokes about these subjects. I don't know. I don't know. I I think everyone brings in. You know, I mean, you're right. This is the vetting process, and everyone brings in their own life experiences and what they do on a day to day basis to to kind of draw back against this. If you're surrounded. If you're a high school coach, you're going to feel much more, I mean, you can't help but feel more impassioned about this type of thing. I, I completely understand it. I also would completely understand if if it gets nominated for Best Picture on the back of, you know, the type of movie it is. I, I get that, too. I, I don't think I don't think there's a right or wrong. I mean, I, I think, you know, it's it's just one of those things that's going to be talked about. Based on the critic scores, based on the reception it's headed towards nominations i would agree with you in that if i'm reading the room it's heading that way but i i wow it's just i'm very surprised this is the movie that it's not the movie i expected through. out of pta i completely yeah. agree with you there i completely well, agree. i just think it was a risk that he, it, do, it doesn't work for yeah him. i he, and he i don't understand what he loses by making the character 17 or 18 instead of 15 i don't that doesn't make sense to me i need that explained to me but he, he's trying he's he's going for it he's trying to get the satire to work and i don't think it works uh that's that's the problem and look i don't want to end on the morbid note so let's let's kind of go through this uh other question that might be one of the more pressing of the year. Why is this movie called Licorice Pizza, Mike? Why? You had an explanation. Well, the record store chain of the 1970s called Licorice Pizza that we heard in the ramp-up being a chain in in the California at that time 
that record store encapsulated PTA's childhood, apparently, because he's like, I just wanted a title that reminded me of my childhood. It went from Soggy Bottom, which was like the water be- the, the stupid waterbed title of their business. Mm. And then they changed it because it was hilarious. It made people think of taking a shit, which he said, <laughs> which was funny. I get it. Uh, but this the movie has nothing to do with record stores or the music industry or... It had a great soundtrack. It did have a great soundtrack, which I can't listen to the same way ever again. Be- anyway, but well, what I said, what I said is that it's two things that just don't belong together. I'm, I, I like that. I came up with that on the spot, and I stand by it. <laughs> that does not have anything to do with the real terminology, licorice pizza. <laughs> that what do you just mean, terminology? Do- like it's a, like it's a thing people say. That had no. The, the thing that we've been saying for a while is that it takes literal culinary courage to combine combine <laughs> no, two such delectable you've foods. You've been saying, I've been saying I will vomit. This has been an MMO <laughs> pillar to what we our broadcast thus far to today's long just taxing, mentally taxing uh broadcast. Uh but no, he's like, no, this is just my childhood. WTF PTA. WTF. I would love to pick his brain. I I just we have to start. We have to get our hands on truth serum. And then find these people to come on and then inject them uh, unknowingly with it. And I don't know how we do that logistically. <laughs> it actually sounds like several crimes, but we, we got to figure that out. I think we got one wave of serious interviews in us at some point. Someone will <laughs> make the terrible decision to let, you know, and, and we'll finally, you know, vie for the, the, you know, access at some point. We don't want it right now because we're asses. <laughs> but eventually we'll we'll ask for the access and there'll be some press tour and people will be like, what was your favorite scene to record? And we'll ask PTA one of these fucking <laughs> questions. We'll be like, why would you, eat this. Ever you eat this right now? You satirize eat this, this, you idiot. How's that pepperoni and cherry taste? I'm so I was so mad at, at him. No, I, I appreciate you going for the joke continually here. Should have had gonna... Phantom Thread Two. The I'm gonna start chewing this licorice now. Cause I need I need a pacifier. <laughs> so mad. Uh, uh... As always, we want to hear from you. That's what matters most to us. Have you seen Licorice Pizza? What were your thoughts? As well as any other thing, movies we reviewed, as well as any other movies we reviewed during this episode or anything else we talk about in the MMO Empire, you can leave us all of your thoughts, comments, questions, or concerns on our social medias. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook and Instagram at MM and Oscar on Twitter, Mike, Mike, and Oscar at gmail.com.com. And on Reddit, we're available wherever you hear podcasts. If you're listening to us on the Apple Podcast feed, if you'd be so kind as to leave us a five star review, uh, we will not be able to thank you enough for that michael between chomps of licorice what's coming next from us and what are some words of wisdom to end on so we are going to do a top 10 episode i i think uh we're definitely going to do it eventually we're going to do it for the mike mike and oscars but this is not the mike mike and oscars and the mike mike and oscars usually goes doubly long because mm-hmm. we save the top 10s mm-hmm. for the mike mike and oscars so maybe we should not do that maybe we should <laughs> just do the top 10 now i don't think my top 10 is going to change you don't think your top 10 is going to change so let's just do it it's top 10 season. You'll get a top 10 episode from us in terms of the top 10 films of the year. I think it's time. No, this movie will not be on my top 10, but say la vie. Michael, we got <laughs> the Scream miniseries. Yeah. So in MMO's long lore of double standarding, we're about to love the Scream 5, despite the fact that they're all... I looked up the cast ages yesterday. They're all in high school. Mm-hmm. And they're all like 26, 27, Damn right. 30. Damn right they are. 
<laughs> so get ready for an infuriating new set of double standards from Mike, Mike, and Oscar, um, yeah. where we hate the best and forgive the worst. No, I, I, I think this movie's going to suck. But what? I, no, it's going to be terrible. It's I, I'm, oh. I have the lowest of low expectations. Oh. I do love you goddamn fool. No, I love some of these first movies, even though they're soulless and hateful and and and, and meta joke masterpieces, though they may be. They're mm. evil movies, Mike, they the Scream series. The four greatest movies ever produced. So we're going to review Screams 1 and 2. <laughs> In an episode this week, I believe, if not this weekend. And then we're going to review Screams 3 and 4 next week, followed by, you know, a film study on Scream 5, a mini series, a Scream mini series that we just have to do. It's just, we have to do it. Yeah, we have to. We have to. I, I already wait. got like stupid punny names for some segments. It's coming. <laughs> They're terrible, too. They're just as corny as they've ever been. <laughs> I can't wait. Guys. When reality sucks, you can come watch these movies with us. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar trying to make award season year-round. Without the stuffiness, we will see you very soon. See ya. See ya.